welcome back to the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. Welcome to the podcast for Cultural Reformation, a ministry of the Ezra Institute, where we equip current and emerging Christian cultural leadership with a biblical worldview, Christian philosophy, and cultural apologetics studies through residential training programs, print, and digital resources. Of course, you're listening to one of our digital resources, and I am Dr. Michael Thiessen with Dr. Joe Boot and Pastor Nate Wright, and we today are going to start talking about the family. So guys, it's our first podcast without Ryan. It's our transition time. We're excited to start the new year, and we picked the topic of family and I, I know that I'm pretty pumped about talking about this because this was the conversation, Joe, that started to bring you and I together. You were exploring classical Christian education in the Toronto context. I was exploring Christian education in the homeschooling context. And it was uh, these type of conversations where I remember sitting with you for the first time at a cafe in Toronto trying to say, how do we help Christian families be strengthened? And of course, Nate, one of the things that we got excited about together as you and I as pastors were exploring a family integrated model um, of, of ministry. So guys, welcome to the show. And I'll pass the baton off to you, Nate, right now. Well, I, I did notice that it only took one intro for you to point out uh, Mr. Dr. Michael Thiessen, uh introducing Dr. Joe Boot and Mr. Nate Wright. So I, I do appreciate I said pastor. <laughs> I know. I, I said pastor. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I am, you know, I remember the first time you and I ever chatted. Um, you were a little bit further down the line of sort of uh, doing family integrated church. And I was asking you all kinds of questions about what to do and what not to do as a young pastor trying to um, kind of bully uh, my church into seeing things my way. And uh, you had a whole lot of wise advice for me as a young pastor making that transition. Uh, but I can also confidently say that there have been very few ministry changes that have taken place at Crossroads um, that have been as vital and life-giving and um, fruitful as our shift to a family-integrated worship model, family-integrated ministry, where uh, we, we don't segregate the ministries of the church by age. Uh, instead, we, uh, we encourage and equip and strengthen families. So um, yeah, I think I'm excited about this topic as well, and uh, it kind of gets to the heart of uh, who we are as an institute as well, because we want to be able to equip the entire family for cultural reformation. That means the, uh, the mom, the dad, the homeschooling mom, perhaps, the, uh, the kids, whether they are in uh, classical Christian education, private Christian education, homeschool education, um, we, we want to be able to equip the whole family. So uh, I know this is a, a topic that's near and dear to your heart as, as well, Joe. Um, so, uh, as we, as we get this, uh, episode going, uh, perhaps, uh, we can talk a little bit, you can lead the conversation just in terms of, um, the, uh, the, the necessity and the centrality, I guess, of family in the context of the biblical picture, uh, that you have, um, you know, life starts in the garden and God creates a family. And, uh, and of course, we have um, Christ coming in the middle of God's redemptive story in the incarnation. And at least Matthew's narrative makes it very, very clear that it was important 
that uh, the Messiah was raised by both a, a man and a woman, right? God sent an angel to keep Joseph in the picture so that Joseph was there to teach um, Christ the Messiah, uh, biblical masculinity. And then, of course, we know at the end of the story is described as a great wedding feast. And so um, beginning, middle, and end of the biblical paradigm, you have family sort of at the center in terms of what God's doing and his plans and purposes for the world. So I'll kick it over to you, Joe, to kind of talk about the centrality of family from uh, uh, the, the context of, of God's redemptive story. Well, it's an interesting way to start our new year because people will have been together for the most part as families over the Christmas season. Sometimes those are increasingly difficult for people in our society now. What have traditionally been times of family gathering because there's so much brokenness in the family. There's so much distortion of the family. And in many churches, that uh, brokenness and distortion is reflected. The tragedy really of our culture now is that in almost half of of marriages end in divorce uh, certainly in British society and I know it's similar in Canada and the 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 pattern is the slow and steady erosion of the family and with it is coming the decay of our culture that isn't an um, a an anomaly in the sense that it's not predictable. Karl Marx, who, um, of course, is at the root of the progressivist movement today, his thought is at the root of the the progressive movement, so-called, uh, the or what is popularly called the woke agenda. Marx and Engels made very clear that the secret to the earthly family, they said, to the holy family, they said, is the earthly family. So the, in other words, the, the, the pattern of the holy family, uh, that is, first of all, ultimately, of course, the father-son revelation of God in the Trinity, um, because God reveals himself in familial terms, covenantally. And then, of course, in the, the family you spoke about, Mary, Joseph, raising um, the Lord Jesus, the secret, he says, to the holy family, to God himself, is the earthly family. And if you're going to destroy the former, he said, you have to destroy the latter in theory and in practice. So and if you're going to be able to undermine uh, God, uh, if you're going to uh, um, move people away from commitment to God in and through Christ, he thought the most effective way to do that was to target and destroy the family. And that that's actually been backed up and supported very well by a book that I've referenced a few times on this podcast called How the West Really Lost God by a sociologist called Mary Abishtat, who points out that we tend to think that when people stop believing in God, they stop believing in the family, so that a kind of atheism comes first, and then what follows is the steady decline of the family. But she points out uh, and shows actually in that book that the relationship is reciprocal, that actually as the family collapses, as fathers become absent, as there is a decay in the life of the family, people stop believing in God. 
And this is actually shown, and I know I'm, I am going to get back to the Bible in just a second, but this is actually shown and reflected in our in in the church because studies show that when a father is in church with his family, the children stick. If it's a single mother, it's a massive uphill struggle. Actually, yeah. if um, if a, if a, if a wife passes away or or leaves, but the father is still in church, the children still stick. If it's the other way around, the children fall away uh, on average. You know that of course there are exceptions, but this is the struggle, and you see that reflected everywhere in the church. What's lacking in most churches today in the West are fathers leading their families. Uh, leading them in Christian education, leading in the home, being examples. Now, this is what was created by God, the the pre-lapsarian institution, that is the the pre-fall institution. The only pre-fall institution of the ones we often talk about is the family. It's God's order. It's ordained by God. It's established by God, male and female, created in the image of God. And don't forget, God performs, you alluded to it, Nate, but God performs the first marriage. He actually brings, you know, every time somebody gets married, especially when we marry people in the life of the church, we recapitulate what God did in Eden. The father of the bride uh, brings the bride to her husband uh, and a family is created a new family is created and then the charges be fruitful and multiply and and fill the earth rule and subdue so even the very things that we talk about as a ministry about culture cultus worship uh the uh you know culture is is religion externalized when we talk about culture we're talking about a mandate that is first given to the family to rule and subdue to be fruitful and multiply so this is a familial task and where we don't have strong, healthy families, biblically speaking, we cannot have healthy churches. Uh, and where we can't, ha- where we don't have healthy churches, we cannot have a healthy society. Uh, we are salt and light. Remember, that's the image that uh, Scripture gives. Salt is a preservative, but it also is the aesthetic. Literally in the Greek, there, salt. You are the aesthetic of the earth. You provide that b- both beauty and um, ethical, the ethical framework here that you are as believers, the, the, the very salt of the earth. Uh, and if that salt loses its flavor, its taste, if the aesthetic of God's people is undermined, then it's good for nothing but to be trampled underfoot. And what's happening to much of the church today? What's happening to Christians today in the West? We're being trampled underfoot by the culture. Why? We've lost the savor. Uh, our, our, our aesthetic, the taste, and that begins um, in the life of the family. I've got a, a, a biblical illustration of that, but but um, I want to let one of you uh, cut in uh, before I, I I wax lyrical on something else. <laughs> it's interesting, Joe. We 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 we've all pastored churches, and so there's a few topics that come up when we're talking about the family, I think to what Nate was talking about, there's been, there's been few or no blessings comparatively to some of the work that he's done within the, when, within his local church around family. 
and and um, Joe, with the conversation that you were just talking about the saltiness, you know, th- this is a conversation I think that us older pastors, uh, those of us who have been pastoring for ten years or more, I know Nate. I don't know. How, I know you don't know how you feel about that comment, but <laughs> I. Uh, you, you're not a young guy in this conversation by any means any longer. You're you're uh, you're an experienced pastor in this area. It, it's this type of thing that when you see a family operate biblically, when you see a father invested, when you see a mother invested, when you see a husband and wife reflecting Christ and the bride, when you see them discipling their kids carefully, um, and that takes. Uh, that, that goes to another concept that the Ezra Institute teaches a lot about is a systematic unbelief met with systematic belief. I, that word systematic needs to come up quite regularly because this is the application the, and, and it takes work and it, and it, you have to actually make a decision and, and, and choose a form by which you're going to do these things and then, and then, and then live it out very practically when you see all of those things happen, it's beautiful and it's profound, but you kind of have to have enough years in ministry just to say it out loud, because this is really offensive to our culture that has been infatuated with Karl Marx. This is this is offensive to the feminist movement. This is a fa- this is offensive to uh, the broader evangelical movement now. Uh, because the evangelical movement has been so compromised. Um, so my, my, my thought that I kind of wanted to put back to you guys was like this, this experience that, that you now, you, you just say out loud because it's so obvious to us and it's so helpful to overcome these cultural prefer, uh, pressures. Um, how how do you take a family and 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 get them to start? How do you get how do you get a a, a church to grasp this? Because this is the other tension. One of the major opponents to the nuclear family, the creational family, sometimes is the family of God, who says, "Well, wait a minute." Uh, the family of God takes precedent over the biological family. And there are instances where that is true. Um, Nate, what, do you want to jump in on that and 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 try to start helping people parse out how they might go from a church that's zero out of out of a hundred with endorsing and supporting the family? Yeah, um, that's a, and that's a great point. I mean, interestingly, one of the things I often say at our church is um, many of us are familiar with the term "blood is thicker than water." And, uh, and, and it's actually, we use it backwards in our culture because the, uh, that phrase, we often seem, we use it to say, you know, my blood relatives, right, come first. But that phrase is actually born in a Christian context. And what it means is that the blood of Christ is thicker than the water of the womb, right? That the, the blood that binds the church family together is stronger than the, the uh, mere familial relations that we are born into. And that does that does speak to the blood of Christ. But what, what ends up happening is we have this very individualistic idea of the gospel. And we very rightly say that everybody stands before God as an individual, and therefore you come into the kingdom of God as an individual. But we say that at the expense of seeing the entire biblical narrative where God has always dealt with families covenantally. 
right? That God, God has always blessed the family unit. He's even called the church, the family of God, the household of God. A, a church itself is a family of families. It's a household of households. And, uh, and so the idea, even as God has um, reveals himself, you think of whether it's Old Testament, right? And Second Chronicles 20 comes to mind. Um, there's this conglomerate army that's coming against Jehoshaphat and the people of God. And uh, the, it's the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Muonites, and, and they're all coming. And, and you know, Israel is, is no match for them. And Jehoshaphat calls the people together. And it says that, you know, he stood in the assembly in the house of the Lord. And it says, um, I think in verse 13, it says, uh, you know, all Judah stood before Yahweh with their little ones, their wives and their children. And they call out to the Lord that whenever, whenever there's cultural challenges, whenever the people of God are called together, it includes the entirety of the family. Um, you know, we talked last week about Ezra and Nehemiah under the, the rebuilding efforts of Nehemiah when Ezra brings out in that beautiful chapter, I think it's Nehemiah 7, when Ezra brings out the book of the law and he teaches it, the families are all gathered there. And then the elders make the, the reading of the law known and plain and simple to the fathers who then distill it to their families. And so you see this beautiful picture. And then, of course, Ephesians chapter, uh, the book of Ephesians, it, it taught Husbands do this, wives do this, children do this, assuming the presence of children there in the covenant community. And so I think um, when we think through a, a church family context, I think one of the things that too many pastors do is they are sensitive to the singles and the broken homes and the broken marriages in their church family, and therefore they shy away from preaching what scripture very clearly says about the centrality of family, that families really are at the, at the heart of God's rescue plan for the world. But, but what they, what they do by shying away, they think they're being helpful and sensitive to those who don't have families or have difficult families. But what they're actually doing is they're robbing those singles and those people who have endured um, some of the, the scars of living in a sin stained world They've actually robbed them from family experience because if you uphold the family within your church family context, then suddenly the singles and those who, who have no earthly family get to actually participate in family life because, you know, they're the single mom, their kids have father figures within the church. And so when, when family is uplifted within the church, that happens. You asked the question, Michael, like, how do you, how do you begin to break through the, the feminism and the Marxism that, that runs so deep? that we don't know it, I think ultimately it's by showing people a, a, a more beautiful example, right? I think there, there are a lot of, uh, I don't know if either of you have seen this expression. Have you seen this new expression? And, and sorry if our sensors have to be used here, but this, uh, this uh, term dink, have you heard this? Dual income, no kids, describing like the modern, the modern married couple. Dual income, no kids. And there's these videos that get put out about how you know wonderful it is, and they have money for this, and they have money for that, and they can do whatever they want. And it it kind of speaks to just the hollowness of our modern culture that you would have these two who would talk about how wonderful life is, knowing that they they're actually choosing um, no legacy, no lineage, <laughs> they're no future. And um, I think that that's the the subtle lie of our culture is that children are hard. Life is about making yourself happy. Have kids only if it's going to make you happy. And, and that's just against the biblical paradigm that says, um, you know, that I think it's Psalm 127, that children are a blessing, right? And blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them.
Yeah, that's um, that's really helpful, Nate. Um, when you were talking, I was thinking about how Scripture uses the the family as the paradigm for the church, uh, because it's called, as you said, the family of God. Um, uh, you know, every family is named by the the father. Paul tells us, um, and the church is the is the family of God, and the qualifications for leadership in the life of the church are familial qualifications. Yeah, so, when you think right. about the qualifications that Paul lays down for eldership, for example, uh, and for for the life of the deacon, these are the ministry of the deacon. These are familial qualifications uh that if a man cannot rule his own home well how can he lead and rule in the household of faith and it's called a household so it's interesting how the bible takes that that building block of society that foundational institution and uses it as a metaphor for the church as the not just the fact that christ is the bride uh, sorry the church is the bride of christ and he's the bridegroom, but the whole church of the living God is the household, and we are the children of God. So we have this um, the 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 picture of church governance that's laid out in in familial terms. And when we think about the church today, and when we think about the issue of fatherhood today, I was reading recently again about. Uh, the calling of uh, of Samuel, the ministry of uh, Samuel, um, and the way in which he is first called, of course, his mother Hannah in the temple, Samuel becoming a prophet. Um, and uh, the priest at that time is Eli. And Eli uh, is the one whom, uh, who is actually in charge in the temple when, when Hannah is, uh, dedicates Samuel to the Lord. Um, and that uh, we, 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 we see that a, a very fallible priest is used by God. Nonetheless, you know, Samuel wakes up, go, go and uh, say to the voice, you know, your servant is listening. Well, Eli um, is actually a man who is failing as a father. And the Bible makes that absolutely explicit in 1 Samuel chapter 3. And I think this is just worth uh, reading uh, uh, briefly here. Um, On that day, this is what the Lord is saying to Samuel. I will carry out against Eli everything I said about his family from beginning to end. I told him that I'm going to judge his family forever because of the iniquity he knows about. His sons are defiling the sanctuary, and he has not stopped them. Therefore, I have sworn to Eli's family, the iniquity of Eli's family will never be wiped out by either sacrifice or offering. And we have a situation which God looks very seriously upon, where those who are supposed to be leading the church... Here you've got a man in leadership in the temple. He's a priest. And his own sons are basically committing sexual immorality in the temple area. They're seducing women who are coming with sacrifices. Not only are they they robbing people because they're taking the best of the sacrifice that belongs to God, so they're basically embezzling 
uh, and committing fraud against God's people and against ultimately against God. They're actually taking the sacrifices, the animals for sacrifice, taking the best for themselves. So you've got financial impropriety and with that, sexual impropriety. You've got the sexual immorality um, from those who are supposed to be functioning as priests in the temple. And here is Eli, and God is angry because he has done nothing to stop them. And uh, <clears throat> I commented last year on the fact that this reminds me so much of uh, the church, in particular the Church of England in Britain, because we have we have bishops who... Uh, whose whose clergy are defiling God's house with sexual immorality, uh, robbing God's people, um, in living in lifestyles of sexual immorality, approving sexual immorality, not just homosexuality, but even trans movements and transgenderism and blessing same-sex relationships and all of these things going on. And the bishops are have done the most senior bishops have done nothing to stop them on the contrary they've even encouraged it and then we wonder why god's blessing is not on the church and 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 his judgment is upon the culture and it's not just some of the episcopal churches we're seeing this in evangelicalism we're seeing that the qualification of family leadership is not being upheld we're seeing that qualification for eldership is not being upheld. We're seeing that men who are leading the churches can't even lead their own households. Their children are, are, are away from the Lord, living profligate lifestyles. We're seeing men, one scandal after another, as men often in the grip of financial impropriety are also living in sexual immorality. And so not taking the family seriously is costing us dear as the church, because remember, you know, it's no, it's no, again, it's no anomaly. It's no bizarre anomaly that as we lose our understanding of the biblical view of family, we start to lose our view of church governance. Suddenly mm -hmm. we have women pastors and preachers. Suddenly we've got uh, a, a, uh, uh, an a, a change, a radical change in how we perceive what sexual relationships ought to be, who should be leading and governing the church. None of this is anomalous or to be unexpected. It's all there in the word of God. Eli did nothing to stop it. And as a result, God's judgment was both on his household and, of course, um, on Israel. And uh, Samuel had to begin a cleanup operation, although he didn't do that well himself. Uh, in some of his leadership of his well, family. So this is absolutely critical. And um, before I just throw this back to you guys, there's the, 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 the way this then begins to play itself out in society, I just want to give you one cultural illustration. There are so many, but, but here's one, and I know, Michael, you've talked about this and pointed this out before um, uh, in another context. But in Britain, we have a, a very, very serious problem with knife crime. In America, we talk about problems with gun crime. In uh, and, and also in Canada, there are problems with gun crime and knife crime. In, in Britain, there's a very serious problem with knife crime. And now there's all of this pressure, all of this talk now in, in the UK about banning various knives. Just as we have talk about banning guns in Canada and banning guns in the United States, it's all about banning knives now, certain kinds of knives, you know. 
uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we start banning bread knives and kitchen knives and garden tools, right? Because <laughs> people think that the problem is the various implements in people's homes that are somehow the 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 cause of the violence, of the deaths, of the murders. Just in one year, in one year in the UK, 247 people were murdered with knives, right? Uh, most of them young people. Uh, and the campaigners are out there now talking about bans and the government is listening and, and, and I'm, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see further. All kinds of knives are already banned. All kinds of knives in this country are already banned which is why I kind of you know, tongue-in-cheek say, what's going to be the cheese knife next uh, that's yeah. going to be banned? Because they think that the problem is knives or that the problem yeah. is guns. Isn't it interesting how there were knives were just as plentiful in the 19th century? And in America, young people used to go to school very often with their shotgun, put it in their locker because they were off to shoot with dad on the hunt after school. It wasn't a problem. Why is it a problem now? The problem is religious. And, uh, and, and this is demonstrable by the fact that you see a correlation between rates of the collapse in the family and rates of knife crime. So, for example, uh, blacks account for only 13% population-wise, the black population in, the United, in, in, in London, let's take one city, the black population in London accounts for 13, not 30, one three, 13% of the population, but 61% of knife murders are committed by black youths. 53% of knife crimes are committed by black youths and 45% of all victims of knife crime are black. What's the problem? The problem is the rates of fatherlessness, the rates of the collapse of the family in the black community. There are no dads around. Now, it's not that the white community can boast a great record here, but the, but the collapse of the family and of fatherlessness is of a much higher rate in the black community. And so immediately that's reflected in the behavior of the young people. Absent fathers mean delinquent youths. This stuff is so basic. This is yeah. so ABC of human life and human society. And yet somehow our culture doesn't get it, is too scared to talk about it, is too frightened to comment on it. Governments won't deal with or really want to address the root issue. No state can solve this problem. This cannot be solved by money. It cannot be solved by the state, its welfare and social services. This is a familial problem. Decay in the church, decay in the society are directly related and rooted in the collapse of the Christian family. And until we address this issue, these, these fruits of the problem will not be will not be resolved. You can put a band-aid on one here or there, you know, well let's ban a bunch more knives and maybe a given area for a short time will have less stop and search and a bit less knife crime. It doesn't ever get to the root of the issue. We only get to it when we address it biblically in the recovery of the Christian family. And of course, Joe, you you couldn't have teed up 
Malachi 2.13, like more specifically, if you tried specifically, another thing you do, so this is God speaking to the Israelites, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. So so our culture is doing the exact same thing. Oh, why is this happening? Oh, oh, oh we don't know. Um, uh, you know, you have critical race theory coming in, Joe. You read all these stats about black young adults and, and, and you would say, what's the problem? And, you know, critical theory would want to try to figure out whether or not that is some type of tone of skin problem when, no, the real problem is the fatherlessness in the home. The same stats the same stats are here in the United States uh, where I'm living uh, now. And, um, you know, my, my wife walks around with a, with a, with a t-shirt that says ban idiots, not guns. <laughs> and, uh, and it's because all of culture is the, the you know, the church, what's going on? How, how do we do these things where you're flooding the Lord's altar with tears? You weep and you will because he lo- no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, Oh, why? And the answer is, it is because the Lord is acting as witness between you and the wife of your youth because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. And the text goes on to say that the Lord has made them one. And why one? Because he is seeking godly offspring. You know, it's really interesting, just on a very practical level, how often in our home, my wife and I are opposing each other when it comes to parenting ideas or concepts and how often we have to give and take, uh, let, let them climb up there. No, don't let them climb up there. Oh, you know, pay attention to that detail. Okay. Don't pay attention to that. Like there is such a maleness, femaleness aspect that when we're, when we're parenting well, our, our kids are constantly getting a male perspective, a female perspective. And those are both, those perspectives are under the word of God, but they are unique. And so how often the, the nurturer and the love and the, uh, um, and the bindedness, the, the peacefulness of the wife is, is attempting to call the home to stay together and be careful. And, and, the, and, and the, the, the testosterone and the drive and the way that God has built men is out there saying, no, push for it and, and climb a little higher. And it's a wonderful balance. But you can see how in a single family yeah. where, there's, where, there, where there isn't an instruction from the word, there isn't a father to give leadership. There isn't the balance of the back and forth so that so the children understand that dynamic, how the world just how the just the world just falls apart. And then they go and they cry and they say, What should we do? So I, I think that in all of those comments that you made, Joe, you you really drew people back to the, a very specific concept. Let's not whine and wail about this. Let's just practically get going on some stuff. And I know that Nate, you probably have some ideas on what we might get going on. Yeah. Well, what, what I immediately think of as you guys talk about those, uh, those illustrations is Ezekiel 47. When um, Ezekiel is given a vision of the water filling the temple that flows out from the temple and, uh, and goes you know, and, and those rivers are for the healing of the nations. And so the idea there is that, that the, the worship that takes place in God's house among his covenant people 
flows out into the world. And so the idea there is that what happens in the church flows out to culture. So as we look at what's going on in the culture and the fatherlessness and the breakdown of families, we have to take the responsibility and recognize that um, you know judgment begins in the house of the Lord. This is happening in the culture because it happened first in the church. And I think what's happened is that the church trying to confront the feminism and the Marxism of our day, um, churches, particularly pastors and elders, got very soft, feeling as though they were being unkind or, or, or misogynistic, speaking and preaching about a true biblical family ethic, male leadership, female submission, raising your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and pastors didn't want to offend. And, and because our churches, quite frankly, I mean, I didn't pull up the statistics because I wasn't ready to talk about this, but our churches in North America are far more full of females than they are of men. And so pastors who are relying on the tithing of the congregation for their salary, for their livelihood, don't want to offend the women in their church because the women in their church make up most of the tithers in their church. And so what, but, but what pastors have to come back and say is that it is a good and a glorious thing if a man leads within his home. Call the men to holiness, to leadership. Call the women to submission and to domestic duties. Get back to what the Bible says. Be unapologetic about it and see the transformation in the church because what happens in the church always bleeds out into the culture around us. So for our listeners who might be listening and you might say, our church doesn't do family integration. They have Sunday school and all these age segregated things. And I would just, my encouragement to you, if you're a person in the pew, then just start with your family. Start with reform where it can be reformed. Husbands who have abdicated the responsibility to lead, ask, repent, ask your wives for forgiveness, and tell them that you want to take up your biblical mandate to lead your family biblically. And there are good resources out there. There's good resources at Ezra Press. There's other good books out there um, that you can get. Um, and uh, if you are a, a wife of a husband who has abdicated his role, then sit down with him and tell him that you need him to lead. You need him to take up his responsibility. And um, it's, a, it's a good and I, I think a proper thing that good godly women generally want to be led by good and godly men, but uh, good and godly men are so few and far between. So that's my advice to you if you're in a church that doesn't do this. If you're a pastor, or you're an elder, and you see the the need for reform within the family, then start start with um, those who are around you. Start with your elders board. Start with the influencers in your church, the small group leaders. Go through studies like It's Good to Be a Man, um, Covenant Family, um, uh, which is a good one by Doug Wilson. And there's lots of resources out there. Family one, Shepherds by Vody Bach. I was just going to say one book that Michael sent to me that I went through with my elders as we were just wrapping our minds around changing the ministry of our church was Family Shepherds by Vody Bach. It was it was a phenomenal read. So there's lots out there. And I would just say that uh, it starts there. So reform within your family first. Be the change that you want to see reflected within your church. Then let's reform the churches. And as the churches are reformed, then slowly we'll see the water flow out from the church into the culture around us. And that's how we see reformation take place. Recover men and build the church. So um, I think uh, I think that's as far as we'll get to today. I think there's some really exciting things um, just as a, as a institute practicing what we preach that uh, we would uh, love to talk about in terms of some things that we're going to be doing to invest in families. But I'll leave that as a teaser for now. And uh, we'll announce that at an appropriate time. Um, anything you want to say in closing, Joe? 
I would just say that when you uh, mentioned in passing there the the ratio of uh, of men to to women in church on the average North American church is uh, is sixty one percent female uh, to thirty nine percent male. Um, that's a that's a very significant gap. That's the average in North America, and um, you can you can see immediately how that also presents a problem for marriages in the life of the church, because you've got all of these Christian women looking for solid Christian men. And so uh, it's, 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 a, it's a proven fact that if you want to build the church, if you want families, you have to get men. You get the men, you get the families. Uh, and uh, this, is, this, is, this is absolutely key. Uh, and that's not going to happen when you have women leading the church. Uh, there's the, the, w- women, uh, churches led by women shrink and die. That's a fact. Sorry, uh, ladies, that's not a slight to um, the women at all. That's just because when you violate God's norm for church government and church life, um, you can expect decline. And yeah. so uh, that is the reality. And uh, churches led by women don't attract men. So you can see how everywhere, if you disobey God's requirement for family, for church government, the end result is, is that we, we lose. The church loses, society, marriage loses, because there then aren't enough men as marriage partners, godly men as marriage partners for, for our daughters. So, and we don't get families in the life of the church. So all of this is involved, and uh, I think you've done a good job of articulating that, Nate, that these things are all connected. Um, right. And uh, we, we, we have to uh, recover our message to the family and our message to men. And that's a message about the kingdom of God. Come and fight. Come, come, and, come and be a soldier of Christ. Come and be a true disciple who lays yeah. down his life for the gospel and for his family, because there's a cause to be fought for. It's the great cosmic conflagration that God calls us into, and he calls us to be victors. That's a message that speaks to men um, and uh, that they will bring and they bring their families with them. Amen. That's a great place for us to, uh, to end this episode. Lots more we can say on the topic and perhaps we will. Uh, but for now, uh, we want to remind you that from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. We look forward to being with you again next week.